Welcome to Seymour, podcast about movies and TV. While last week we talked about the biggest thing on TV right now, which is obviously Game of Thrones. It just began airing its final season. We're going to do the film equivalent this week. With its upcoming release of Avengers Endgame, the cinematic event that concludes the first 10 years of this universe, the 22nd in the series, the fourth Avengers movie, and a film that is sure to make more money than I can count, I want to dive into the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the serializing of films. The MCU is a series of movies comprised of famous comic book characters. The now-iconic franchise is run by Kevin Feige, who is the president and producer of Marvel Studios since back in 2007. The films he's produced have a combined worldwide box office gross of over $22 billion. That's definitely a number. A lot of this is a testament to his innate ability to recognize and recruit talent both in front and behind of the camera, consistently recruiting Oscar-caliber actors like Robert Downey Jr., Brie Larson, Mark Ruffalo, Kate Blanchett, Benedict Cumberbatch, Tilda Swinton, Bradley Cooper, Natalie Portman, and a lot of white dudes named Chris. Some of their most successful directors include Taika Waititi, Ryan Coogler, John Favreau, Joss Whedon, James Gunn, Joe and Anthony Russo, and a lot of other dudes. Regardless of where you stand on the series of films, the success of the MCU is unprecedented, and we've already seen the impact it's had on Hollywood, how films get made, how we consume movies, and it's really redefined the superhero genre. While there have been MCU-related TV series, and Disney just announced an upcoming slate of films on their new Disney Plus streaming service, I want to solely focus on the films. So let's just get right into the conversation. As always, no spoilers. And we're back. Joel, thanks for thanks for being on again. <laughs> no problem, dude. We've sold out. We're mainstream now. The show, we went from Phantom Thread to Game of Thrones to the Marvel Cinematic, the whole thing. Yeah, it's been quite the arc. Not just one movie. We, we're doing the whole thing. <laughs> now we're doing Star Wars after this yeah, one. Yeah, we're doing Star Wars. The Mandalorian's coming out. <laughs> <laughs> um you know, what the MCU has done is really unprecedented. And I thought you'd be an interesting guest. I mean, I think I was far more into comic books growing up than you were. But yeah, but I still, I was in them. I think we had like action figures and stuff as kids. I was well aware of like all of the different characters and all the different storylines or most of the main ones. And I'm really interested in the trajectory of our involvement in these films. You know, as fans and as viewers, we both saw the first Iron Man together. Yeah. And even then we knew that was an event, right? I think that was the same summer that The Dark Knight came out. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Um, 2008. Yeah. And so that was like a huge summer for comic book movies because that was when they were taken seriously for the first time in a while. I think Spider-Man, like the original Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies were super successful at this point. Yeah. But they were kind of seen as this anomaly because even the X-Men movies were kind of campy. And before that, it was like, I think Daredevil and... Yeah. They were just not a thing at all. And before this film, Iron Man was really like a B-tier superhero. I know going into this movie, I didn't know anything about him other than, you know, we had the action figures and we would kind of make up our own scenarios, but we didn't know much about the character. So this was really our introduction to the character, you know, just as much as maybe the mainstream audience at this point. It's really funny, right? Like to think about the fact that now Iron Man is 
the A-list. guy. Yeah, just he like is the man. Yeah, Robert Downey Jr.'s Iron Man is one of the most, if not the most, recognizable characters in the comic book world. Yeah, but yeah, you're right. When this movie came out, like no one really knew anything. How risky is that for them to basically jumpstart an entire what what now has become the absolute standard the for pinnacle a blockbuster, of for a blockbuster. Yeah. yeah and the reason for that just a little bit of context was because marvel's basically sold a lot of their properties to different studios to make some money uh, what do you mean by sold properties so, so like, they sold spider-man to sony they sold x-men a lot of those properties that came with x-men like deadpool fantastic four they sold those to all all of those to fox mm -hmm. so marvel didn't really have i mean they had iron man captain america but they didn't have their full suite of characters yeah they just the fox deal went through and they now have access to that catalog of superheroes as well as spider-man obviously but in 2008 iron man was the guy to go with and to move forward with and to launch this sort of empire that we now know as the MCU. The the roster was thin, is what you're saying. They didn't have a deep like, bench. Yeah. <laughs> and they used that to their advantage. Now, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy is a household name. Yeah. It might be one of my favorite series in in that universe. So when Iron Man was made, this was 2008, this is before Disney bought Marvel, right? Correct. Who distributed the movie? Like what studio? Do you know? It was Paramount. And the majority of the phase one movies operated in collaboration with Paramount. So mm. Iron Man, The Incredible Hulk, Iron Man 2. It wasn't until the first Avengers film that that's kind of when Disney took over. And mm -hmm. you can tell tonally that movie sort of set the blueprint for what was to come. What an absolute jackpot Disney got there. Yeah. Because, I mean... It could have failed, you know what I mean? Like, again, before the first Iron Man, a comic book movie wasn't necessarily, A, a financial safe bet, and B, a critical safe bet. There weren't many good comic book movies before then. No, I, I absolutely agree. And as a viewer, you know, so much has happened between then and now where it is the most profitable genre yeah. of film right now. And it's changed so much since that first Iron Man. As a viewer... What do you expect from these films that now come out on a two to three of them come out a year? I think I expect two things. I expect A, for it to be entertaining and specifically funny, which is weird to say. Yeah. Considering they're primarily action movies, sci-fi adventure movies most of the time, I go into the theater expecting to laugh in a weird way. Which is not what you would have expected in 2008 to right. get from a superhero movie. Right. And B, I think I expect a lot of interaction between characters that I enjoy watching on screen. I think that's honestly, they're less like movies and more like a TV show in that sense, that you tune in to watch characters interact. Good thing you brought that up because that's exactly what I wanted to talk about today in the serializing of these films. There are now 22 films that Whoa. work together in cohesion. We talked about Game of Thrones last week and we talked about how cinematic that was. The first point that I want to touch on, movies and TVs have kind of flipped where we see movies are now becoming more of this series mm -hmm. and TV shows are, we're seeing a lot of limited series now. Mm. TV's more cinematic, more dramatic even. Yeah. It's funny how those two have kind of flipped roles. 
And most films are franchises now. Most popular films are franchises now. Everybody's tried to sort of duplicate the Marvel standard. Fox is Fantastic Four with yeah. Miles Teller and Michael B. Jordan. Yeah. That didn't work out. That was supposed to be a, a franchise. X-Men, who is now at Marvel, Deadpool, even... Tom Cruise's new The Mummy film is supposed to be like a cinematic universe. Everything's just a cinematic universe now from a blockbuster standpoint. How how do you feel about that? I, I'm kind of torn, man, cuz honestly when this when when was it set up that we as a viewer realized, oh, this is all going to be connected as uh, far as, you know, the individual MCU movies. The post-credit scene for the first Iron Man in 2008. Yeah, that was when I think they they had Nick Fury show up or something. Yeah, he showed up at the end of the film and he's like, I'm working on this Avengers thing. And yeah. all the nerds freaked. Us included. Yeah. We, yeah. <laughs> we, we all like, we know what out. that is. Yeah. It was almost impossible to imagine that it was going to work. Because a lot of times you'll see in movies that you, you kind of have sequel bait. And sometimes those movies never get made. And you just kind of end up with this, you know, this uh, loose thread in the movie. And Kevin Feige talked about talking to Samuel L. Jackson about it. And he was like, hey, we really want to do this thing in the post credit scene. And he's continually, especially during that first phase, which will run down what movies mm -hmm. were in that first phase, sort of convincing actors to jump in and being like, no, I pr in 10 years, like, just trust us. Yeah. And actors just kind of being like, all right. And it worked out for Samuel L. Jackson, who ended up being in, you know, a bunch of movies. Now they sign actors for at least like under like a six-year or six film contract. Right. But yeah. imagine being like, even then, like this new superhero thing. Like, what do you think was going through his head? Like, this will probably never work out. Right. Ten years later, a lot of people only know Samuel L. Jackson. Like, kids know Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury. Right. And I think that's what I'm getting at is there was no precedent set before Iron Man. There was no way to, there was no model to compare it to, you know? There's no way to be like, oh, this will be like X, Y, and Z, you know, if it works out. This was, they were breaking new ground quite literally here. And so back then it was the most exciting thing in the world to imagine a cinematic universe where all the movies are interconnected and, and there's this linear plot that runs through all of them. And then every three years you get this one big movie with everyone in it. That sounded crazy. Now... It's kind of annoying. Well, I think it's annoying because we've seen it done very unsuccessfully. Nobody has taken... And it's crazy that no one else has been able to replicate this. This has been going on for 10 years. Yeah. There are 22 movies. Has anyone made a successful, like, five cohesive films in their own cinematic journey? Like we, Other they, than, like, something based on a serialized book, like a Harry Potter series? Yeah, other than that. Maybe Star Wars? We don't get two Star Wars movies a year. Now, now we do. Well, now we get... Well, now we don't. Uh, <laughs> at Star Wars Celebration, Kathleen Kennedy said that with Solo, you know, not doing so well at the box office, they're going to kind of take their foot off the accelerator. And Okay. Yeah, and, and I mean, I guess even in Star Wars, it's one story told over multiple movies as opposed to 10 stories all interconnected, like in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This model and infrastructure that they've built is almost limiting its own movies at this point it's yeah. so hard to do what they're doing it's so hard to have i don't know off the top of my head just like 20 characters 
individually having their own films. Yeah. And then films and TV shows because now they have series on Netflix and whatnot. Yeah. To have all of this going on and then still fit this cohesive narrative, you have to set, I guess you have to set a template, right, for each movie so that they work like a puzzle with each other. But because of that, you're basically handcuffing each director. I feel, yeah, I feel a lot of mixed ways about this because the other side of it is that they do take a lot of really talented indie directors. Yeah. All dudes, hire more female directors, please. Please. And have given them like tremendous opportunity to tell stories and be recognized for their talents on such a large platform. Yeah. And it does work sometimes. Like the Thor movie that Taika Waititi directed was one of my favorite ones just because it had yeah. one of the most one of the clearest artistic visions in the universe. Yeah, Ryan Coogler has Oscars now. Yeah. Which is which is wild that this year I mean we've seen the height of this universe kind of reach an unprecedented boundary even for the bar that they set. Yeah. And the rise of technology and social media, these films are now like ingrained in pop culture. But you bring up a really important point uh, that I wanted to touch on, which was, does the serialization of these films and them turning more into kind of like a TV sort of format where you have to like catch each episode to watch the big event or the season finales, Mm -hmm. does it sacrifice the quality of the film? I think it depends on who you ask and what your expectations are for these films. I think it's very obvious that they shoot in a huge green screen warehouse in Atlanta. Yeah. They have to now because of kind of like nerd culture and spoilers. And they also have, you know, very clearly their own set of like a, like a shot book kind of like set list or yeah, like a shot list, like a shot list of you can't stray too far from these shots. Um, You know, they, they color their films a certain kind of way. And more on that, there's a YouTube channel. It's this, this guy named Patrick H. Willem who does incredible deep dives on the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, he just wrapped like a three-part series. Yeah. Really good. And he brings up the great point that Marvel's sort of handbook has evolved through their different phases. So you can go back and watch the way they colored the first Thor film in 2011. Thor The Dark World in 2013 is colored completely different, and they're sort of refining as they go. So it's interesting to see this this universe evolve. I do think it's very inherent to the serialization the fact that there are going to be restrictions and the quality of each individual movie might suffer for the greater cause of the whole project of the whole the big picture you know i i don't know i mean well it's if it depends on what you're looking at numbers wise they just spent 200 million dollars on marketing for this avengers endgame they're going to i think break the billion dollar mark again oh yeah for sure so it depends on who you ask there are some people who don't watch movies who only watch marvel movies and their extent of cinema knowledge is what happens to these characters right and if you've watched enough of these you can start realizing like the formula yeah this is just a formula and like you can see the template you know i mean you get to a certain part in the movie and you're like oh okay i wonder how much of that is us growing into like grouchy cinephiles and how much of because this is just these are just Saturday morning cartoons at this point. Yeah. In fact, we've got our ticket for Endgame. I I was the one that pushed to get it early for like 8.30 a.m. Yeah. And I would rather On a Saturday, I believe. On a Quite Saturday. literally a Saturday morning yeah, cartoon. Yeah, that was a very... Well, we would have watched it on Saturday if the tickets were available. But yeah. I 
love that about this that, you know, also because it's extremely long. I think the movie clocks in, uh, the actual runtime of the film is 2.50 something. It'll, we'll be in there for like three hours. I'm going to bring a pee bottle. <laughs> but this is for kids what we had in, you know, Batman the Animated Series, which was an incredible series, Superman, mm-hmm. uh, Spider-Man, and those films, or sorry, those TV shows also followed a formula. Yeah, you're right. I guess when you make film... It's hard to ignore that budget. Yeah, it's hard It's hard to ignore the budget. And it's hard I, I, to ignore the fact that some of the, the really good films in the Marvel Cinematic Universe have now officially the Oscar-nominated and Oscar-winning Marvel Cinematic Universe. Right. It is hard to look past that and apply that sort of level of prestige, however you view awards and arts or whatever, and hold each film accountable to that standard. Right. And it's also impossible not to also look at Phantom Thread and The Favorite and all these other films that have now won, that have been nominated for Oscars, and hold Marvel to what are now its peers. Right. Similar standards. Cause yeah. yeah. It was, it wasn't, they were on the stage. Right. They were on the same stage. And... That line, I think, as film viewers, we're now seeing like we need to get used to that and understand that each film isn't created equally. They never right. have, but what the MCU exposed was just like a new way to make, watch, and consume film. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right, and I think that's a great point, dude. Is like if you think back, maybe early two thousands, who was at the Oscars? You could say like, oh well, fantasy movies didn't really receive a lot of critical and academy award attention until lord of the rings came one best picture one best picture and so so when i watch lord of the rings now i hold it to a certain standard because like you said they were in that room and that standard was upheld when they did the three hobbit movies those films were critically people held them to that third lord of the rings movie standard and those films were not good were not yeah were not received well at all right and, so that, right. and that's completely fair game, right? It's just playing by the same rules that its predecessor did. And it'll be interesting now moving forward how people hold Marvel accountable. Yeah. Yeah. You're 100% right, dude. If they want to be taken seriously as films, which they clearly do. I mean, they were, they've been vying for Oscar attention for years. And I think the public has too. There was a one in a million chance of this thing working. And I f- they figured out how to make it work. And it just has, and I think everything we've talked about is just kind of collateral damage from making it work. It's interesting because Iron Man was like lightning in the bottle and then they needed to recreate lightning in a bottle with the Incredible Hulk, which was the Edward Norton version. That didn't work. So they like created a bottle. Yeah. (laughs) And then just kept like, (laughs) but it's very clearly like a manufactured bottle. Yeah. But it's, creating lightning like yeah artificial lightning but it's creating it let's talk about some of the positives that come with the serializing and how that affects the story tone i think that you mentioned it before that they've struck a good balance between humor and action through the character interaction and that's paid off with all of these different films is when they have event films like civil war or the avengers which is the the main event film that you get to put all these actors and these different characters in a room and they get to kind of like talk it out and, and be really funny. I think a lot of the humor comes out mostly through those interactions. Yeah. And 
another positive of serializing these these movies, it allows for each film to sort of hit on a different genre. Ant-Man was kind of a heist movie. Captain America was a period piece. You know, Infinity War that came out last year was this like epic and the Guardians of the Galaxy is just like a space opera sci-fi. So it is cool to see that within their sort of Marvel structure, they are going different places with it. These movies do work best when they don't halfway it. I think James Gunn did a great job of going all the way with being in outer space and the Guardians and uh, which are also some of the funniest yeah. of the films and definitely my favorite series through all through the universe but and taika went all the way with just being a comedy yeah like, with, with this Thor. is just going to be a comedy and recognizing the fact that like the hulk is kind of a goofy character and right and chris hemsworth is funny very funny yeah so i also want to talk about what the mcu has introduced to film kevin feige has said that when he was a kid he would always stay after the credits just to see if there was it. I think like Ferris Bueller blew his mind. The after credits. That after credits. Yeah. So he said, whenever I get a chance, like I'll make sure they're always in my movies. Hmm. And it started off as not so much a gag. That was the Samuel L. Jackson kind of introduction of the Avengers and the Avengers initiative and what he wanted to do with the Marvel universe. But they've since just kind of been this like playful thing that is actually quite genius because it makes people sit down and read all of the credits and all the names and mm-hmm. all the hard work. So I really appreciate that, that post-credit scenes are now expected for right. these films. At least one. A lot of them have like two now. Yeah, I think the second Guardians of the Galaxy had like four or six. Something crazy <laughs> where it was like, they, they were mostly gags. But this serializing of films also does something that I think is really interesting, that it introduces lore that exists in these uni- in this universe that you can see. So they can reference something from like now 10 years ago as this like ancient thing and you can go back and watch the first Thor yeah. and see it. And nobody else can do that. Yeah, you don't have to go into the, oh, well, it's in the books, you know. Like- yeah, yeah, they're pulling from comic books, but at this point, they're so far along that they can keep pulling from comic books, but the canon is now, like the films have become the canon. Yeah, they can pull from them themselves. Yeah. That's so crazy. Which is really interesting. And I guess the last point that I want to touch on was how this has affected pop culture. And we talked about this with Game of Thrones, that like Game of Thrones has now become kind of a sporting event. Like yeah. we're just going to watch, I'll, I'll be completely honest, part of me wants to watch Endgame because I'm I'm not expecting a three-hour like Shakespearean masterpiece master i just want to see what happens to these characters after 10 years like i keep thinking about what this could be compared to in the sense that like everyone knows about this this property this yeah kids adults you have everyone from the most rabid fans down to the most casual everyone knows about these superheroes again it's pretty unprecedented and we can't forget the draw of star power. You know, my friend's mom really likes Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, but again, Robert Downey Jr. was not Robert Downey Jr. like he is now. I mean, he's always been an incredible actor and he had an incredible career and before, before the, MCU. the MCU. But as far as being a household name... There's something that makes calling your shot before you shoot it, to use a sports 
analogy. Way more impressive than just making the shot. Yeah. And when they went to shoot this first Iron Man movie in 2008, they knew that they wanted to start a cinematic universe. And they knew that it wanted a launch. It wasn't like they made Iron Man 1, 2, 3, and we're like, hold on, this is working. Let's talk to the heads about this. Right. And before they started, Kevin Feige's goal was, he said he just wanted to hire not who he thinks resembles Tony Stark, not who, whatever, because they could have hired anyone in that. You know, Tony Stark, again, wasn't a household name or wasn't an A-list superhero before all of this, but he said he wanted to just hire who he thought was the greatest actor in the world, and they would turn him into the biggest star in the world. Wow. And those are two two different things, I think. Oh, yeah. And they went with Robert Downey Jr. And they they called it. Wow. And they succeeded in that. I think you're absolutely right that, yeah, while he wasn't the, the like the star that he is, and you can argue that about all the Chris's, all the... <laughs> yeah. All of the actors in, in these movies. And Chris Pratt was on like Parks and Rec. Yeah. He was the chubby dude in Parks and Rec. He lost 60 pounds for Guardians. You know, this topic like Game of Thrones is very overwhelming because with Game of Thrones, I wasn't going to, for the research, I'm not going to read those books for this 30 minute yeah. podcast. I don't have the time. And I, fortunately, I've seen all 22, most of the 20, by Saturday, when we watch the film, I'll have seen all 22 movies. It's a very daunting thing to research all of these films. So so I'm okay. We've kind of jumped around a little bit. But I feel like I got it all out. Yeah. Well, it, how do you feel? You feel good about... I think I feel good. I mean, I think it's easy to feel negative about the stuff just because... Like, it's anything, so successful. Like, yeah, like it, with anything that's just like... And Disney owns so many, you know, incredibly successful intellectual properties... It's it's easy, I I think. To, yeah, we're just oversaturated, man. Like you said, we've had ten years, ten yeah, years, eleven, of this, yeah. like eleven years of of multiple movie, multiple movies a year, all serving the same story. Uh, I think that they're doing a fine job. I think what they've done is incredibly impressive. I think that they definitely mastered the big picture. I would love to see what they do with the individual movies going forward. After Endgame, which is kind of like this big milestone in the cinematic universe and can act almost like a reset in a way because I think it's like this will be the end of phase, what, three? Phase three. So this will be the end of phase three. We'll see what phase four has in store for us as far as, you know, tone and and how they approach each movie. But yeah, I mean, I'm going to watch it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm, I I'm buying a ticket. Yeah, it's bought. Uh, yeah, it's and, bought. And if in case you were confused, I, I told you I'd kind of run through the phases. Phase one was the original Iron Man in 2008, the Incredible Hulk in 2008, Iron Man two in 2010. That was a crazy two year gap between. Wow. Thor 2011, the first Captain America, the first Avenger 2011, um, and the Avengers in 2012 phase two was iron man 3 2013 the second thor thor the dark world 2013 captain america winter soldier 2014 guardians of the galaxy 2014 so this is when we started yeah phase two was week two movies a year yeah consistently hit two movies a year avengers age of ultron 2015 and ant-man was also 2015 phase three which is what we're currently on has by far the most movies Captain America Civil War 2016, Doctor Strange 2016, 
Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 2017, Spider-Man Homecoming 2017, co-produced by Sony. Thor Ragnarok 2017, we had three that year. Black Panther was in 2018. Avengers Infinity War was in 2018. Ant-Man and the Wasp was in 2018. Okay, so we've hit three movies a year. (laughs) And so far this year, Captain Marvel 2019, Avengers Endgame 2019, the Spider-Man Far From Home, the sequel to Spider-Man Homecoming, is also in 2019, and that will close out Phase 3, Whoa. according to Kevin Feige. That comes out later this summer. Wow, what a what a lineup. Yeah, dude. Let's just run through the trivia. Yeah, there's so much to get through. So I wanted to do a trivia for each of... Every think, movie? <laughs> yeah, all 22. <laughs> no, for a couple of the films, and the first trivia is from the... First Iron Man, which was that the script was not finished when the when filming began. So most of the dialogue was like ad lib through filmmaking. That was obviously Robert Downey Jr. Hmm. coming up with stuff on the day. And John Favreau acknowledged that this made the film feel more natural. Yeah. Because of this sort of improv nature, they sometimes filmed with two cameras. Oh. So they made sure that they could capture the lines improvised on the spot. A little so, extra trivia for you real quick. These first couple films were shot on film. Instead oh, of digital, like now they shoot everything digital. Yeah. The first Iron Man was shot on film. Yeah, you can definitely tell. Yeah. Yeah. Robert Downey Jr. loved this. He would ask for a lot of takes so that he can get a lot of different variations. And Gwyneth Paltrow actually did not like it and, or apparently had a difficult time trying to match Downey with a suitable line. Hmm. Just do two different types of acting, you yeah. know? So the next trivia is from the Avengers, the first one. Robert Downey Jr. kept food hidden all over his like lab on set, and apparently nobody could find where it was, so they just like let him continue to do it. <laughs> and there's actually a scene where he's like eating food, and that wasn't scripted; he was just hungry. <laughs> That's great. I think this was the point where he just kind of started doing whatever he wanted. What are they going <laughs> to say to him? What are they going to say? He to does him? a great job. It adds yeah. to the film. It's great. So the next film, Guardians of the Galaxy, mm. according to Vin Diesel, Vin Diesel plays Groot. Yeah. He recorded Groot's iconic line, I am Groot, over, over a thousand, thousand times. times. Yeah, yeah, I knew that one. Yeah, yeah. you're reading. <laughs> <laughs> he also recorded it in a bunch of different languages. Oh, like for the... Um, for different... When it gets translated? When it gets translated. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Spider-Man Homecoming. Tom Holland spent a few days in classes. He attended classes at the Bronx High, High School, School of Science, Science. in yeah. New York City, yeah. Yeah, you know this one. <laughs> uh, he was preparing for his role as Peter Parker, and he used his acting coach's name as an alias. Oh, that's interesting. I knew that one already, too. Really? I'm reading the notes. Yeah. (laughs) So in Captain Marvel, the cardboard cutout that Carol shoots in the Blockbuster store, I guess this is kind of a spoiler, but not really. It's in the trailers. Originally, they wanted it to be Jim Carrey in The Mask, Hmm. with Carol making the mistake that the green face is that of a squirrel, which are the villains in the film. Huh. But the filmmakers couldn't secure the rights. Oh, awesome. What did it end up being? I don't remember. I don't remember. Huh. So, yeah, yeah. not what are, what are as good as <laughs> the mask. The mask. And finally, in Avengers: Infinity War, which came out last year, Mark Ruffalo said that he got a fake script for the movie because he's had a history of accidentally spoiling stuff. So uh, he also jokingly said that the fake script was better than the real one. Hmm. Is it the intern? Like, who writes the fake a script. whole fake script? <laughs> yeah. And can they put that on their resume as like something they wrote? Right. That just will never get made. It's like, like a spec script. Yeah. Screenwriting credit on Infinity War 
All right, so we've got some rapid fire questions. Oh, let's do it, man. I'm uh, honestly, I'm a little spacey right now. I hope the answers to your questions make sense. Yeah, well, we're gonna do 22 questions. Holy intricate, very. You have to squint to see it. Easter egg questions from all 22 MCU films. No, I'm kidding, but we do have like six of them. Okay. There are a lot, so let's we can speed right through this. We can just be okay. Really quick about it. Let's do it. What are your top five MCU movies? Ooh, that's a good one. They don't right. have to be in order. Just okay. like five that you remember enjoying. Four, three, the Taika Waititi one. Yeah. Captain America, Winter Soldier. Yeah. Second Captain America movie. What was it? Oh, uh, Guardians. The, the first one? first one. Yeah, the first Guardians. Okay. Let's throw in Iron Man, the original one. Nice. And for the fifth, let's go with the second Guardians. Yeah, that's good. I think yeah. our list look similar. What about... What about yours? Ah, close enough. All right. The but, first Avengers was good. And this last Avengers, not to spoil anything, but it caught a lot of people off guard. A lot of great character development with their villain. Infinity War? Infinity War. Yeah. yeah. Infinity is, War was good. Which, which I mean, that was the a lot of the criticism that these movies have drawn was that the villains are a bit thin. Yeah. It was not the case with the last Avengers movie. Yeah. We kind of went over this, but what do you expect to see or what do you want to see in the next phase after this film, after the next Spider-Man film, when they mm. do their next slate, the next 10 years yeah. of Marvel, what would you as a fan want to see in phase four? I want to see like five more Thor movies directed by Taika. Good, good answer. Perfect. That's all I need. Yeah. <laughs> Who's your favorite character in all of? Oh, Thor. Was there like a moment where he became your favorite character? Because I think Joss Whedon's handling of him was kind of when he started to introduce his more comedic beats. Yeah, the Taika Waititi movie <laughs> with Thor. <laughs> that's one. No, honestly, though, that, like that's when he became my favorite character. Yeah. Yeah, like you said, he was always that kind of like fish out of water character, and it worked really well at times, but it wasn't until that one where Chris Hemsworth like flexed his comedic muscles yeah. like never before. Yeah, he's great, and he was great in Infinity War. Yeah, I think he's he has one of the most interesting stories, definitely, and underrated Mark Ruffalo's comedic chops in Taika's movie as yeah. well. Yep. What do you hope to see in this final Avengers movie for now? Um, I'd say I want to see a little more Thor. Nice. If it was up to I'm me. seeing a a theme here. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of Thor, mostly. If if it just resembled a Thor movie, just with everyone else in it, that'd be great. If you were in charge, so you're Kevin Feige now. Yeah. You're in charge of all the logistics, all of, you need to make money, you need to mm. appeal to the fans, all of it. Yeah. How would you move forward after Endgame? I'd re-sign Chris Hemsworth. Nice. For 10 more movies. Very nice. <laughs> yeah. Fire everyone else. <laughs> Why would you fire everyone else? Just to make a statement that this is the direction we're going, I would make just like seven or eight more Thor movies, two a year for the next four years. <laughs> yeah. All right. I don't even think this last one. Oh, yeah. Okay. Which actor were you most surprised by when introduced into the MCU? Oh, Chris Hemsworth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. I feel like I set that up without. <laughs> but uh, But that's it. Those are all the questions. I yeah. Have. That's great. Yeah, dude. Thanks for being on. Oh, of course, man. Anytime. Literally anytime. Yeah. Thanks for having me, man. And I'm um, excited to watch Endgame um, in a couple days, right? In like a week? A week from the recording, yeah. Oh, cool. 
All right, yeah. It's going to be great. It's going to be fun. Yeah. We're going to watch it at uh, Alamo Draft House. If mm. Alamo wants to sponsor this sound. <laughs> I was going to say this video. <laughs> if Alamo would like to sponsor this podcast, that'd be great. Come on down to Alamo. Have it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> They're like never going to. Come on, come on down to. Their buffalo cauliflower wings are. It's exceptional. Exceptional. The, Do you want I, to have a great time? Yeah. I personally. <laughs> and honestly, yeah. they do have something really cool. They have like uh, customized menu items depending on the movie you're watching. So each yeah. film that you watch has its own menu that's like inspired by the film. Just Alamo Draft Overall, overall Alamo Draft Houses. Big fan. Great experience. Yeah. So that's where, that's where we'll be. <laughs> Thanks for being on the show, man. Thanks for having me, dude. Where can people find you? Uh, it's soft glass everywhere, uh, S-O-F-T-G-L-A-S. And uh, on the show, you are most likely to find me these days. All right, man. Thank you. Thank you. That was this week's show. If you like what you hear, please subscribe. You can hear new episodes of Seymour every week on Tuesdays on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And remember, Seymour is just one of many shows that Cesspool has to offer. For more info, visit cesspoolnetwork.com to see our full weekly lineup or follow at Cesspool Network on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow me personally on Twitter at Juwan underscore chirps, on Instagram at Juwan underscore snaps, or follow what I watch on Letterboxd at Juwan Gonzalez. See you next week. I wonder if anybody stayed until after the uh, after the credits. I hope so. We teased the hell out of it. Yeah, really telegraphed that. Yeah, we did. If this was an end credit scene, what would what what would we do? I would probably tease the next episode. I think yeah, we're gonna Let's do do that. We're gonna do Frasier next week. Oh, a little spinoff action because we did do Cheers yeah weeks ago. First spinoff episode. It, we're spinning off a, an episode of the podcast. With a, with a spinoff show. Show. Yeah. That's great. It's going to be fun.